the Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join Abbott historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Hello, my name is Troy Smith, and I am an associate professor of history at uh, Tennessee Tech. Uh, I'm from the Upper Cumberland. I'm from Sparta, and I was asked to talk a little bit about various various topics uh, that uh, pertain to the history of the Upper Cumberland, and particularly things that maybe most people don't know that would be of interest. My uh, my own specialty is Native American history. Uh, in particular, I've done a lot of study of uh, the Cherokees. So when I was asked to tell a story about the Upper Cumberland, of course, it was the uh, the Indian stories that jumped out to me immediately. So what I want to talk about for a little while is a conflict that was known as the Chickamauga Wars that took place, well, really beginning at the, during the uh, American Revolution around 1776 and lasted for 18 years thereafter and had an impact on this area. Now, during the uh, Revolution, there, uh, there were not white settlers in, in large numbers or hardly any numbers <clears throat> in this area, um, but it was uh, sort of um, an in-between place. Uh, as the uh, city of Knoxville, uh, after the war developed, and then the uh, settlements, the Cumberland settlements, they were called near Nashville or Fort Nashboro. Uh, and when travelers would go from one of these areas to the other, they would have to come right through what is now known as the Upper Cumberland, which was at that time a very um, wild place. And by wild, I mean so far as... Uh, uh, a lot of nature uh, that had not been cleared or settled, and also wild in, in other ways because this war was going on with the Indians that had come to be known as Chickamauga. Uh, the, uh, the Chickamauga were actually not a tribe on their own. They were sort of the, uh, the basis of the Chickamauga were certain Cherokees, who had refused to surrender to the new United States of America during the Revolution. You see, the Cherokees had sided with the English, and it did not work out very well for, <clears throat> for the Cherokees because they were defeated very decisively, and a lot of their towns were destroyed by the, uh, by the American forces. And the leadership of the Cherokees decided to go ahead and surrender and to uh, even give up some of their land. There was a younger leader, though, whose name was Dragging Canoe. He was actually the, uh, the son of a very prominent Cherokee leader named Atakula Kula, or Little Carpenter. He was uh, a leader in his own right. He was the uh, uh, war leader of uh, a small Cherokee town. He had gotten his name when he was when he was little, and the uh, the Cherokees were going on a raid against some of their enemies, and they would they would put their canoes in the water and head out toward uh, the the enemies that they were going to attack. And Dragon Canoe was about eight or nine years old, and he wanted to come along. And his uh, I don't remember if it was his father or his uncle 
that was leading the party told him, you're too small, you can't, you can't come. One day when you're a big warrior, you can come along to war with us uh, when you're big enough to carry your own canoe like we are. And so then they headed on down to the river and looked, and here comes a little kid dragging his canoe behind him, uh, hoping that he would be allowed to come, which, of course, he was not. But that demonstrated sort of the heart that he had. And that name was given to him, and he lived up to it for the rest of his, of the rest of his life because when his people surrendered, he did not feel like it was a good idea. He believed that if the Cherokees gave up some of their land now, then the United States would just keep asking for more and keep taking more and taking more until there was nothing left. So he decided to resist. However, the leadership of the Cherokees had surrendered, so this is kind of a problem. Dragon Canoe and his followers had to actually leave the Cherokee towns where they were and establish new towns uh, farther to the south near what is now Chattanooga, um, including the largest of those towns was called Chickamauga, which is why the colonists referred to them as the Chickamauga Indians. They were actually Cherokees, but they were joined in their resistance by Shawnee Indians and uh, who are mostly from the Ohio region as well as Creek Indians from farther to the south in, in Georgia. And for many years, they resisted. Even after the revolution ended, they kept fighting uh, against um, initially the state of North Carolina and the United States, later Tennessee. <clears throat> well, actually, no, not uh, the war ended before statehood. But um, during this time period, one of the things that they would do is that they would raid travelers. They would raid the settlements. They would often go to the settlements over in East Tennessee and, and raid there. Sometimes they would go to the area that's now Nashville and, and raid there. And they would also sort of pick off the travelers who were coming through the Upper Cumberland. Now, at this point, I'm going to uh, introduce a character to our story that you may have heard of. His name was Tecumseh. Mm, perhaps you remember learning about uh, Tecumseh in school or you've heard the name. Tecumseh is best known for being a Shawnee leader from the uh, Ohio uh, Great Lakes area who made a big effort to try to unify Indians around the time of the War of 1812, and who fought on the side of the British in the War of 1812. However, many folks are unaware that Tecumseh has a connection to the Upper Cumberland, except that it was when he was, when he was somewhat younger. What had happened, you see, is that the Cherokees and the Shawnees both of whom had claims, territorial claims to Kentucky, kind of overlapping, had been enemies for a very long time. But when the American Revolution started, actually a little bit before that, they realized that they needed to join together against the Americans. So as part of that alliance, they had uh, what really affected, uh, in effect, was a uh, warrior exchange program. Dragging Canoe, the Chickamauga leader sent his younger brother, I think it was Little Owl, up to Ohio with a contingent of Cherokee warriors to join up with the Shawnees up there 
And the Shawnees sent a contingent of Shawnee down to Tennessee to join Dragon Canoe. And that contingent was led by a warrior named Chisika. Chisika brought with him his younger brother, Tecumseh, who was a young warrior who was sort of learning to, to follow the warrior's path. And they frequently would, uh, well, very frequently, actually, they lived among the Chickamauga Indians in the early 1790s for a couple of years, probably 1790 to 1792 or so. And during that time, the contingent of Shawnees would go along with the Cherokees on these raids and attacks. In fact, on a raid on Fort Nashboro, Chisikau was killed. And when that happened, uh, Tecumseh became the leader of the Shawnee group that was attached to the Chickamaugas. And that's where we can get a little more specific into Tecumseh's role in the Upper Cumberland. Now, I mentioned that the Chickamaugas would sweep in and attack travelers on that road between essentially Knoxville and what is today Nashville. In fact, to give you an idea how dangerous it was, in the year 1791 alone, there were about 107 travelers killed on that road. So an average of at least a couple a week. What they wound up eventually doing, because it was so dangerous, is they would make travelers wait until there were a larger number of them, and then they would send a contingent of militia, about 50 militiamen, to escort them from one of those places to the other. Well, on one occasion, when the militia had safely delivered the travelers and were on their way back, they uh, were in what is today Cumberland County near Crab Orchard, <clears throat> Uh, at a at a site some of you may be familiar with, it's called Spencer's Rock over in Cumberland County. That is a very good place to ambush somebody, and the Chickamaugas uh, frequently would use that uh, for that purpose. On this particular occasion, a group of Chickamaugas came down, led by the Cherokee leader Middle Striker, accompanied by Tecumseh, leading his Shawnee warriors, and they attacked and defeated that contingent of militia, uh, and killing several of them and capturing their captain. Uh, the captain was later ransomed back, and some historians believe from the way that he described the Shawnee who interceded and argued uh, in favor of uh, letting him go, that may well have been Tecumseh. The uh, captain, by the way, his, his hair turned white, uh, during his uh, experience of being a, a captive, which we can only assume must have been an unpleasant experience, right? In fact, I found his obituary decades later, 40, 50 years later, and in his obituary it was pointed out that after his capture by Indians, he became an abolitionist. So he had been the sort of person who was in favor of slavery until it had been tried on him personally. Anyhow, uh, there you have Tecumseh, who would be one of the greatest Native American leaders ever, participating in a raid right here in the Upper Cumberland. Probably not the only one. Uh, probably not the only people, the only colonists uh, who fell to Tecumseh and his forces. And it's entirely likely that later on, 20, 30 years later, eh, more like 20 years later, I guess, when 
Tecumseh was trying to organize resistance to the United States in the Great Lakes area, that he sort of followed the examples of some of the things he had learned from the Cherokee leader, Dragging Canoe, which you know makes for a very interesting set of connections. But the connections didn't end there. The Chickamauga Wars would last until officially 1794. The fighting had stopped a year or so before that. The 1794 is when the treaty was signed. Um, Dragging Canoe died when he was in his early 50s, a couple of years before the end of that war. One would assume that probably he had some sort of glorious end uh, in, in the middle of battle, but actually he had died of a heart attack. He had uh, uh, he had been dancing all night in celebration. There may have been there may have been some some drinking involved. It was a, it was some pretty hearty dancing apparently, um, and things started to wind down, but not before um, Thomas Bigfoot Spencer or Thomas Sharp Spencer. Bigfoot was his was his nickname. We may talk about him more later on another occasion because he's a very colorful individual. He was killed at Spencer's Rock, uh, which is how it got its name. By the way, he's also who the town of Spencer is named after. But the final, the final battle, final fight, final skirmish of the Chickamauga Wars took place in what is now White County in Rock Island, the Battle of Rock Island. There, a Chickamauga force led by Doublehead, who was a very prominent Cherokee leader, um, engaged with a militia contingent uh, and was defeated and withdrew from the field. Doublehead later on would become, when the uh, Cherokee Nation was sort of reorganized at the end of the Chickamauga Wars, uh, and all those Chickamaugas were welcomed back into the Cherokee Nation, Doublehead would become the Speaker of the Council, which was a very important tribal position. Um, And in that position, he was involved again one last time with the Upper Cumberland. Uh, What happened was that uh, he made an agreement to sell off the Cherokee hunting grounds, what is now the the Upper Cumberland. And uh, that uh, was finalized at the, I think, the third treaty of Teleco Blockhouse, so around 1805. And it was immediately around that time and right after that White County and Overton County were formed. Now, it's interesting to uh, to note that when the Cherokee government reformed, first thing that they did was pass a law making it a federal or a capital offense to sell Cherokee land without the approval of the majority of the people, which is exactly what Doublehead did so he was actually um, assassinated. Some would view it more as an execution for his act of selling off the, uh, the Upper Cumberland to the state of Tennessee. Uh, one of the leaders of the group that uh, executed him was Major Ridge. You may have heard of him, and if so, you may know that years later, when the Indian Removal Treaty was, uh, was being signed, uh, when the Indian Removal Act had been passed by Congress, it was Major Ridge who signed off a lot of that land, and he met the same fate he had dealt out to Doublehead. But all those things had happened right here, a stone's throw from from where you were listening, in the Upper Cumberland. And that's really only the only the beginning 
of uh, fascinating stories that this region has to offer. Every area has a lot of fascinating history behind it. I've always felt that maybe it's uh, maybe it's because I'm from here, but other people have told me this too, that the Upper Cumberland seems to have a very a remarkably rich tapestry of history and stories behind it. So hopefully we will be able to continue examining that tapestry. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Henson Oakley Podcast Center.